This is an ABC podcast. Hello, my friends. My name is Ruby, and this is News Time. As you probably know by now, if you listen to this show, every week we count down five news stories from around the world. And today, because it's the school holidays, I figure you deserve a break from helping me out. So today, I am flying solo. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the news. Okay, how does this bit go again? Oh yes, story number five. Way back in time, more than 60 million years ago, our land and skies and seas were filled with all different types of dinosaurs. That was until something big happened. Something so big that it wiped out most of the plants and animals on Earth, including most of the dinosaurs. The big thing that happened, nobody's sure exactly what it was. But there are a couple of scientific theories floating around. Scientific theories are explanations for why things happen in nature. There are two main scientific theories about what made the dinosaurs disappear, and both of them have to do with sunlight. Theory number one. A giant asteroid, a huge rock whizzing through outer space, smashed into the Earth. The crash was so forceful that trillions of bits of dust and rock flew up into the sky and blocked out all the light from the sun. Plants and animals and dinosaurs need sunlight to survive. So no sunlight? That meant no more dinosaurs. Theory number two. There was a rumbling from deep inside the earth, underneath the layers of rock. And then volcanoes began to erupt across the planet. All that fire and lava blew huge clouds of smoke and ash into the sky. And that is what blocked out all the sunlight. Scientists from a place called the University College London reckon the asteroid theory is the right one, because they say volcano smoke and ash, it wouldn't have been able to turn the sky very dark. Definitely not dark enough to wipe out the dinosaurs. The asteroid, on the other hand, would have blocked out the sun by almost 20%. That's a lot more than the volcanoes. It would have destroyed the dinosaurs' environment and made them extinct. The mission to find out the truth isn't over yet. And that's the thing about scientific theories. We have to keep doing tests and experiments to find out the answers. Now let's zoom forward in time and head over to... Story number four. This Sunday is Malala Day. That's a day when we celebrate the bravery and hard work of a young woman named Malala Yousafzai. Malala is from a country called Pakistan, and ever since she was little, she's been saying the same thing, that everybody should get a chance to go to school. Here in Australia, going to school is something pretty much everybody does, but it's not like that everywhere. In some places, girls and women aren't allowed to go to school to get an education. In fact, for a long time, Malala couldn't go to school. She thought that was really unfair, and she decided that she was going to do her best to change things. When Malala was 17 years old, she became the youngest person ever 
to win the Nobel Peace Prize. That's a special award that's given to people who are working hard for world peace. These days, Malala is 22 years old. And not only has she finished school, she's going to university. She's raised lots of money to build schools for other kids around the world too. So, on Malala Day, we say thank you, Malala, for all your amazing work and for making it possible for more girls to go to school. Alrighty, where to next? Oh, we must be up to story number three. In a place called Shark Bay, off the coast of Western Australia, bottle-nosed dolphins have been getting up to something. They've got a very interesting way to catch fish. This technique is called shelling. First, the dolphin finds a tasty-looking fish and chases it into a big seashell called a conch. While the fish is hiding in the shell, the dolphin carries it up to the surface of the water and shakes the fish out of the shell into its mouth. Pretty clever. But what's extra cool about this shelling is that the dolphins have been teaching it to each other. Normally, dolphins are taught to catch fish by their mothers when they're little. But these bottlenosed dolphins have been teaching this special shelling trick to their friends. Scientists say... Just like us humans and gorillas and chimpanzees, they can work together and share things they've learnt to help their friends. Let's release these little fishies back into the sea and paddle on over to story number two. A little while ago on News Time, we talked about Mabo Day and native title. Eddie Mabo was a Torres Strait Islander man who fought hard for native title, which gives Indigenous people more of a choice in how land here in Australia is used. And not very long ago, a big native title decision was made over in Western Australia in a place called the Pilbara. There are many traditional owners of the Pilbara, and one of these groups are the Yinjabundi people. They've lived in that area for more than 60,000 years. As you can imagine, spending so much time there means that their connection to their land is really strong. Yinjabundi country is beautiful. Lots of it is out in the desert, where the dirt is rich and red. The Pilbara also has some precious minerals hiding in the ground. Minerals like iron ore, which is worth a lot of money. To get to these precious minerals, a mine was dug on Yinjabundi country to get them out. It's called the Solomon Hub Iron Ore Mine. But there's a problem with this mine. The people who own it, they didn't ask the Yinjabundi people if it was okay. And the Yinjabundi people weren't very happy about that. They said that because they were the traditional owners of the Pilbara, that land had native title. And the highest court in Australia has decided that's true. That means the Solomon Hub mine shouldn't have been built without the permission first. The Yinjabundi people are very happy that their voices have been heard and that their connection with the land can continue on into the future. And just like that, we are up to our lucky last story. Story number one. I love bees. They're the wonderful, tiny, hairy, flying insects that help all of our flowers and plants grow through an incredible process called pollination. 
pollination is what happens when the sticky powder on a flower, called pollen, is moved from one part of a flower to another. Things that move pollen around are called pollinators. Bees are pollinators. Butterflies and birds can be as well. And even the wind can be a pollinator. And now, some clever inventors at the University of Adelaide in South Australia have created drones that can be pollinators. Pollination drones look a little bit like a tiny flying robot. They have wings to help them buzz around to different flowers. Every single plant needs pollination to grow. Not just the fresh fruit and veggies, but also things like cotton that we use to make clothes. The pollination drone could be very helpful in the future to help with farmers' crops. One day soon, you might see a tiny drone helping out the bees. And that's it, my friends. That's all our stories for the week. I hope you're enjoying your school holidays and having lots of fun. I'm off to find some new stories for next week's show. I'll catch you then. Toodles!